All right. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. And uh, looking forward to seeing everyone at Brad's later on uh, for a barbecue. That's awesome. <laughs> we'll get it up on the screen shortly. Uh, no, it's great to be together. Uh, it's great to enjoy a little hint of spring. And uh, it's been a great week for my family this week. Um, very encouraging week as uh, last Sunday Jack was baptized into Christ. He's my youngest son. Uh, man, it was a great time. And um, just so encouraging on a lot of different fronts. Um, anytime a family you have a child that wants to follow Jesus is a good thing. Um, but it's been great to, to, to see his transformation. And even this past week, uh, just to be reminded that the gift of Hol the Holy Spirit that we learn about in the book of Acts that we receive when we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins and we repent, it's a real thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And I liken Jack uh, this week to like, remember the first Star Wars that came out, right? Luke Skywalker, when he first started learning about the Force, right? And he gets out his lightsaber, and then he puts on his blindfold, right? And he realizes the great power that he has, but he's a little clumsy with it at first, right? Because it's new, but he's like, holy cow. And so Jack's been like walking around, like wielding this new <laughs> lightsaber of his faith, if you will, sharing his faith with people and being a little clumsy with it, but the heart is just rock solid in there. And uh, Christine and I are having just so much fun listening and watching that. Uh, and as well, on, on another front, we're just so encouraged about the baptism itself. Uh, just sitting down there, as you, if you were there, Jack got baptized in the river, uh, asked me to help baptize him, in which, uh, and then I got some chest waders, like a wise old fella. I didn't want to die physically. Yeah, I didn't want to, like, steal the day, you know, put on some chest waders. But I was so encouraged just to look from the shore at the great... Uh, the great family we have in Jesus here and just the diversity of it. But all of you that came down to support Jack and our family during this time is just very encouraging. It's great to have a diverse congregation. And so needless to say, Jack is off to a great start uh, in the marathon that is our Christian walk, right? It's the first step uh, and it's a long one and we'll all have highs and we'll all have lows. Uh, and we all know that every, if you've been a little older in your faith, every phase of our Christianity has its challenges uh, for, for no matter how long you've been at it. And uh, if you've been at it for a little bit more, you know we resist the urge to go out to pasture, if you will, right? To become the seed in Mark 4 that is planted among the thorns uh, and have the world, the things of this world uh, choke it out, the, where it says the the desires for other things. It's, it's a constant thing we've got to resist, and it's something I'm dealing with in my life right now. And so this morning, I want to share a bit about what I've been challenged with lately. So maybe like this 50% sermon, 50% journey share. We'll see how it comes out. Uh, but hopefully it will be helpful and encouraging to you. Um, ironically, as Jack was navigating through the studies... Uh, as a parent, you know, I'm observing this process, uh, and I found myself, like, noticing the difference between his conversion and my conversion, like, a long time ago, 
Uh, and the differences, which is probably natural and important as a parent to observe those things, but I had at, at one point or two points or maybe uh, a, for a stretch of time, I felt myself like getting frustrated by this. Like, why aren't you more like, how come you're not doing it the way I did it? You know, I got baptized, I didn't grow up in the church, so for me it was like I was a pagan for a good few decades, and then I finally saw the light, and it was just an abrupt thing. Well, Jack's 15 years old. He got, became a Christian when he was half my age. He grew up in the church. Of course things are going to be different. Not to say that there's not things to be concerned about, but I was taking it a little too far and getting frustrated. And what that was was a symptom of something that's been going on in me that I'm trying to root out. You know, so every, I, The last thing I want to do as I get older is fall into the full trap of curmudgeon-dumb. You know what I mean? Because what starts as little attitudes here and there about people that aren't like me turns out to be a six-foot fence around the perimeter of my compound with a stay-off-my-lawn sign right out in the front, right? I don't want that. Uh, my desire as I get older is to have, a deep, have many deep and loving relationships, not just with people that are just like me, uh, but different than me. And... Uh, we all know that if we're not deliberate about things like that in the pursuit of them, they're not going to happen because the river of life will sweep us far down into, into the curmudgeoned world. And so I'm trying to dig a little deeper and, and as I get older, transform spiritually. Amen? So the title today is Collectively Strong in Christ. We have this theme being strong in Christ for the year, and it's easy to take that theme and rightfully so just individually and personally, right? Like, I got to be strong in Christ in my walk, and how do I do that? But I believe there's a, a part of this that is a collective thing, a communal thing. And as our church grows and increases in size, and we're going to go through a lot of changes this year, as, of course, we've heard, uh, it's important that we stay strong collectively. Because, man, Satan would love nothing more than to divide us. And now we have our individual parts to do that, but I want to I talk a little bit about this today. Let's start out in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Awesome. Collectively strong in Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Right? We got the Holy Spirit lightsaber at our disposal, right? That's not what the Bible says. I added that part. Uh, on the contrary, they have divine power, meaning the weapons that we have, to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension. One other translation says lofty opinion. So we demolish arguments and lofty opinions that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let's break that down a little bit. So we have strongholds, the Bible says, bad strongholds, not good strongholds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold, by definition, is like a fortified place, right? Like a city on a hill with gates around it. Uh, in this case... These are strongholds that are stubbornly resistant to God's word and to God's will for us, right? And we all have these strongholds to varying degrees when we 
walk ourselves into the kingdom of God, right? Uh, we all have them. I have them. You have them. Look to your right or left, that person right next to you, they've got them. Uh, we have these patterns. And so these strongholds are made up, it says here, it's defined. It's these strongholds are made up of arguments and every lofty opinion or pretentiousness. Uh, that we bring in. And so we have preconceived notions as to how we view the world and how the world should operate. Uh, and that's just our viewpoint. And so they come, our strongholds, our, these lofty opinions and attitudes and dispositions, they come from a few different things, right? They come from where we grew up, right? The atmosphere in our home of origin. Uh, they come from our own history and our own habits, maybe trauma that we experience or habits we get into, good and bad. They, they form sort of our, our strongholds. And they also come from, and this is what I want to sort of focus on the most and what I've been trying to learn about in myself, they, they come from kind of our core dispositions, right? Just how we are, the people that we are. Uh, and, and the Bible says we want to demolish these strongholds. We want to demolish them. We don't want to trim them or prune them or over time maybe get to them. The Bible says we've got to get rid of these. We've got to demolish these strongholds. And so to, I want to turn to Genesis 25. Today I want to talk about our dispositions, like our essence, uh, our default mental outlook as we look at uh, Jacob and Esau, right? Here's a little case study that I find very interesting. Uh, in Genesis chapter 25, verse 19, we're going to kind of meander through this account of these two brothers, this family, uh, the, with the brothers Jacob and Esau sort of at the center. Two brothers that are very different from one another. Verse 19, this is the account of the family line of Abram's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old. When he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. All that to say, Isaac got hitched when he was 40, is what he did. And so verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. She was barren. They could, there was an infertility there. Any couple that has, has ever had to deal with that, that's a heavy topic. If you want to have children and things just aren't working out. And for a long time, that was their situation. Uh, and Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. And the Lord answered his prayer. And his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. All right? Babies. What's the clue there? Well, there's at least two of them in there. Maybe a whole litter. Uh, we don't say litter, probably. Uh, four, three. We learn later it is twins, right? But it says here the babies jostled within her. Uh, the translation of jostled is, uh, the Hebrew there is rosis. Uh, and it's not your average, like, I remember when Christine was pregnant and she's getting ready to give birth, right? And we'll be hanging out and she'll be like, ooh, 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 check it out. And she'll point and you'll see like an elbow like going across her belly. And it's like, whoa, that's cool. <laughs> and sometimes it's a little active and strange, uh, that's not what this is at all. This is, the translation is more like warring, right? There's, a, there's like a crushing or a pressing is what that word rosis means. Uh, and that's odd, right? That's of concern. Rebecca hadn't had children yet, but she knew this, this something's up here. Uh, amen. That's, 
So what does she do? Uh, before I get to that, the point I want to make is we are all born with a disposition, right? And we see hints of that here. What's going on? Something's up in my belly. There's a relationship happening and maybe some conflict. But you and I are all born with a disposition. It's how God knit us together. It's what makes us unique. Uh, God did it purposefully, and he did it with the intention that we would use it for his purposes, right? But then we have this sinful nature in the flesh, and now we can take this disposition, and it can cause all sorts of problems in our interaction with the people around us. And then all of a sudden, that's not a very good thing. But this happens from the get-go. Like, this is our, our personalities are in there. It's not like we are born and we go to the personality outlet and mom sets us up with who she wants. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit, right? And that's who we are. We, we play the hand we're dealt. Uh, verse 22, uh, the second half says, and she said, her response with this jostling was, why is this happening to me? Good question. So she went, she, she, she did a good thing. She went and inquired of the Lord. I like this family dynamic so far. Isaac, it's like we're barren. I'm going to pray. Rebecca, man, something's up. I'm going to go pray. This is great. And the Lord answers her. And here's what he says in verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in her womb, or in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. Hmm. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. I'm not quite sure that's the answer she was hoping for, right? Like maybe, maybe the answer would be, yeah, just, just calm down. Everything's going to be fine. The, the boys will be boys. No. There's this news, what, two nations, two nations. I mean, what does that mean? Like, I just want to have a baby, just whatever. So she's probably... Not exactly resting easy with this initially, but God says these kids are going to be different. He says Esau, he's the older one, uh, he became actually the father of most of the Arab world, like as it is today, right? It's more complicated than that, but basically he became the father of most of the Arab world. And the, and the Bible says here he would serve Jacob, and Jacob, on the other hand, he would be the father of the Jewish nation right? Uh, and he's the younger brother. And so when you turn on the news, seriously, today, to this day, the fighting in the Middle East, and you're like, why can't these groups of people get along? If you're like me, you kind of keep an eye on it, but don't really know what's going on because it seems very complicated. It all started, like literally it all started right here in Rebecca's womb uh, in this scripture right here. That is nuts. And we're thousands of years later, and the consequences or the result of this is still happening. And so again, these two had dispositions early on inside, and it caused them to war. They couldn't get along. Uh, it's our natural mental outlook, this disposition. It's our tendency or our leaning. It's the prevailing point of view that we tend to have when we go into different types of situations. Have you noticed that in your life? Like, oh yeah, look at that. I, I tend to lean. I tend to be slow to learn, but over many, many years I've learned, okay, I guess I, I kind of like this, and other people are different in certain ways. It's the filter installed on our thinking as to how we process reality. It's how four people on a street corner can be hanging out, standing there, and there's a crash on the corner, 
and they, they all have different accounts of what just happened. It's the exact same thing that happened, but they have different opinions about what just went down. It's just we're all different. And it's so natural that typically we don't even know it, right? We don't even know we have this bend. And so our strongholds, those strongholds we were talking about earlier, are seriously affected by our dispositions in life. Our arguments, the reasons why we think we're right, they're not always because we're right, right? We think we're right, but it just doesn't mean we're, we're always right. Our arguments and lofty opinions become the way we view reality, but the danger comes when it's just not just a way, right? It's, it's, it's the way or the best way or the right way. And when that happens, we have created a stronghold that will limit us from being able to do God's will and interact with God's people in a way that brings him glory, right? So this is what I've been trying to figure out in my life because there's a, you can go run around and, and deal with symptoms that happen when this doesn't go so well, but I think there's a time to dig and take a closer look. So hopefully this applies to you. But the point here I'm trying to make is my disposition dictates my thinking pattern in my life, okay? Let's keep reading in verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out was red, red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. That, that kid had a pelt is what he did, right? His whole body was, and so they named him Esau. That's why they don't name kids Esau anymore. <laughs> if you're Esau, I'm sorry. I mean, sorry to bring all this up. I don't think we have any Esau's in here, but it's not a very popular name, and maybe this is why. Uh, have you ever seen a baby? Like my wife's youngest brother, David. He was born. She's down with the kids, so I'll have some fun today. Uh, he was born like like 28 pounds, right? He's this huge kid. He's not that big, but he was in the teens. The big kid, the, ba the doctor said, that's the biggest kid I've ever seen, right? Not a brand new doctor. This guy had been doing it a long time. He's like, check it out. I think they were like taking pictures and stuff. And a lot of why it was, it was so like unique is because the dude had like a full mullet, like a dark, his, his hair was like full, like it was like he was styling it almost. It, you look at pictures, it's like, wow, he's normal and everything now, but he, <laughs> he had to grow into it. You know, like a mustache hanging out. Uh, it was the real deal. Anyways, that was Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, right? This was Jacob. Jacob was like, man, I want to be first, right? That was his thing. It's like, get out of my way. He wanted to grab his, he's a heel grabber. Uh, he gave him the name Jacob. Isaac was six year old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So their disposition was very present at birth, right? Esau's this burly guy. Jacob's like this heel grabber, wanted to be first. And I don't know about you, but as the parent of two boys, uh, and it's, this is true for about, every, I think everybody I know, they are so different from one another. So here's these two kids born of the same DNA. It's like my wife and I, uh, and born in the same household, doing the same basic things, but I, they can't be, Jack and David, couldn't be much different than one another uh, in who they are. David's extremely expressive when he wants something, man. Everybody in the county will find out about it. If he doesn't get something, he'll try a little, okay, well, that strategy didn't work. Let me map out a different thing. And 
he used to get me, like he'd be six years old working me over because I'm more like a living, like I don't do that kind of thing. And I'd be looking, thinking back on like the past day or week and I'd be like, that kid at six years old just worked me over for that bike right there. <laughs> He's like that. And that's a great, that can, most, it, it can be a great quality. Amen. <laughs> it's uh, not the easiest to parent all the time, as much as I love him. Yeah, I should get going. Uh, he's very energetic. He's very artistic. Jack, on the other hand, he's more reserved. It's like pulling teeth to get, like, how are you feeling, Jack, out of him. Uh, and he's learning how to do that, and he's growing in that, which is a beautiful thing, but it's not naturally uh, there. So he's kind of compliant, you know. He just kind of falls into place. He's athletic and all that stuff. Two very different kids. Um, and so as we look and evaluate other people, we see differences in them. Can you see that you were born with a way of thinking that you've battled your whole life and wrestled with? And how easy it is to slip and do, this isn't a way, but it's the way. This isn't just the good way, it's the right way. Handling our dispositions this way can be really damaging to our family or our community. Let's keep on reading. Verse 27, the boys grew up, kind of fast forward here. I imagine when they were little toddlers and stuff, there, there was a lot of battles of different kinds, right? I can just see him running around. I, I'm, I'm sensing his kids, Jacob probably got his butt whooped a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure, but as he got older, I think, as we're going to see, Jacob tended to get the upper hand with some intellectual warfare. Um, the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, uh, a man of the open country. He's like an outdoorsman. While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tent. Side note, neither of these boys were more manly than the other. They're both men. Amen? Uh, these are boys are very different. Uh, very different kids. Uh, Isaac, who had a taste for, the, for wild game, he loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. That's a, that's a red flag right there, right? If, if you're, if you're uh, into learning about good parenting, you probably want to avoid this type of behavior. Uh, I don't know if the boys knew this. My, my sense is they probably sense that. Uh, if not, I don't know, maybe they proclaim that. Uh, Jacob and Rebecca, you guys are together. Isaac and uh, Esau, who knows? Uh, once when Jacob was cooking some stew... Esau came in from the open country. He was famished. That's why it was also called Edom. Uh, and he said, he said, quick, uh, he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished, right? I'm hungry. And he gets a little excited, a lot of exclamation points there. And Jacob replied, oddly enough, first, sell me your birthright. Uh -huh. yeah. He's an opportunist. He's a little shrewd, isn't he? He's thinking, what's in this for me? Uh, interesting. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. Esau's a little impulsive. Uh, I don't get the impression he was about to die. Most people don't yell and demand uh, when they're, like, uh, fairly alive uh, that I've witnessed. Uh, but he said, look, I'm about to die. What, what good is the birthright to me? So he's convincing himself, well, you want that? Just give me the food. But Jacob said, swear to me first, 
So he made it officially, swore on an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Huh, shocker, right? What's a birthright? A birthright was the firstborn son, got a double portion of the inheritance, and he was the, like the heir or the, you know, like the, he would be the leader after dad passed away. And so there's a great value to this. Uh, but, but again, Esau, who was like, he was, he was, he, he was into impulsivity and what am I doing today? What's in it for me today? That was not a big deal in the moment. Uh, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank it. Then he got up and left. So Esau despises birthright. Hints of regret right, right away is setting in. And so, man, this is not a healthy family dynamic, right? And these two brothers had so many strongholds that affected what they were passionate about. Uh, and it led to so much conflict. Esau had low impulse control. I just want my meal now. Give me my food. I want what I want. I'll worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, very much in the present. That was his, his disposition. Jacob, highly shrewd, high planning. Uh, I got to find a way. Even if it's conniving, might be a little crooked, but I'm going to get what I want, right? Praise the Lord for spiritual guidance in our homes, right? Uh, because this dynamic, coupled with a void of every, taking every thought captive in their household, uh, led their, to their relationship like falling apart. Uh, I think about that in our household. Ironically, my wife and I are a little like Jacob and Esau. We have God, so we avoid by and large, all of this type of conflict. But my wife likes to plan ahead, and she likes to navigate things in a way where she's thinking ahead, and I tend to be more of, what are we doing today? Like, I don't really, I get a little overwhelmed when I think about the calendar and what's going on tomorrow. Uh, and that's why, man, after 20-something years of marriage, I, 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 I wonder where we'd be if we hadn't become Christians the same year that we got <laughs> married. Woo! Uh, Boy. But this is a very big case study in dysfunction with Jacob and Esau, leaders that play favorites, brothers that don't accept their differences, but they resent them and are bent on controlling one another. Uh, there's an application uh, for this reality for us, right? I've been digging around a little bit into personality types, okay? And what I don't want to do is make this some big psychological thing and, you know, uh, but I do want to go over a couple things. As, as far back as 460 B.C., there was a philosopher named Hippocrates, and he came up with these four different types of personalities, four main filters or temperaments or personalities that exist. Uh, more recently, guys like uh, a guy named Gary Smalley, uh, psychologist, and a guy named Tim LaHaye kind of refined these things uh, into more like, pr like uh, present age terms that you and I can understand. But it just, it's been an observation throughout history that there's four main types of people. Let's bring up that first slide, Ellen. Okay, so here we are. And the thing I want to encourage you to do is look for yourself. I don't want you to look for your buddy who's, you know, got all the weaknesses. And, oh, yeah, look at you. That's you. I, yeah, check that out. Look for yourself here, and we'll talk about this a little bit. So you've got the choleric, the choleric, okay? He's the driver. He's the type A winner. Aggressive, I will crush you. Anybody know any of those in the room? Well. <laughs> Some call him ginger. 
Uh, but, you know, there's no bad type, by the way. I'm just ribbing Grayson a little bit. Uh, but this is the aggressive. This is like the Apostle Paul. Man, he was, he's a choleric. Uh, he's a driver. They, these people become CEO types of people, right? And then you got your sanguine. Uh, there's no need to ask the sanguine what they are thinking because they're already telling you, right? <laughs> they're very expressive. Let me just get this out. They like to have fun. Everything's got to be sort of a party vibe. If there's like, they don't like the intense stuff a whole lot, but and they can be impulsive, right? Think about Peter in the Bible uh, is definitely a sanguine. I tend to lean this way. If I have a predominant one, I think this is it. Um, these people can tend to be good entrepreneurs, uh, think entertainers, you know, like Jim Carrey would be a modern day one for sure. Uh, so that's a sanguine. Uh, phlegmatic, uh, Ellen by her own mission. This is Ellen, everybody. Uh, but she's amiable. She likes to get along. Oh, I got a whole lot of conflict, right? Let's just see how we can all get together. Let's play it a little bit safe. Uh, they can be a little bit passive sometimes. If you give a sanguine directions, uh, you might have a little bit of time lapse before they're actually expedited. And I'm not applying this to Ellen uh, anyways, but uh, that's the phlegmatic tendency. And then there's a melancholy. And uh, Rachel's here from out of town. Where is she? There she is. Uh, Ellen threw you right under the bus and said, hey, uh, Rachel's going to be here. She's kind of a melancholy, if you want that as an example. Uh, she, she didn't say exactly that. Uh, but more analytic, more into precision, more that sort of thing. Uh, but their downside is they all, as you can see, have downsides. And they can be a little negative, a little pessimistic about things, a little nervous about what the future might hold sometimes. Uh, and so you've got these groups of people. And see, we can look at this chart and see the value in these personality types and their strengths coming together, right? We can't be all one type of these people. We'd pick one. If everyone was all that type, we'd seriously be in trouble. You could pick three of them and there'd be a huge void because no one's there to fill in the gap. Diversity is a beautiful thing. On the other hand, every strength comes with a weakness. Every tendency has good uh, potential and it also has challenging potential. It can become an irritant sometimes if we don't watch out uh, a challenging thing. Amen. So let's go to the next slide. Let's look at how each of these types of person's uh, viewpoints are affected by different like big areas. Uh, you follow me there? Uh, so the choleric uh, is, is, is uh, their time is now. Like if I ask you something to do something, I want it now. Why would I, not, why would I ask you something if I didn't want it right now? It's got to, let's go, let's get, let's get it done. Uh, uh, that's, that's, what, that's what they got to be. Uh, and the downside to that mentality is that uh, they, they see people as a way to get their goals met sometimes and, and not see them for the treasured people that they are, right? I used to lead... Uh, in the church in Milwaukee, and, and I'd lean this way sometimes. I was more of a visionary, and I would get so focused on the vision and who I could plug into different things, I'd forget sometimes. Yeah, I, there's a process here that has to honor and respect. I think Joel does a wonderful job with that idea. But that's, uh, and then the authority, I missed that. The, the, the cholerics view authority as the ruler's rule. What are we doing? Who's in charge? Ask them. That's that's how things get done, right? That's how we win. All right. Uh, the sanguine, 
Uh, late, I don't know if late's exactly accurate, but they don't really have the same grasp of time. It's sort of fluid. I'll get there when I get there. I'm coming from this party and I'm going to that party, so it's kind of like you want them there, but they might not get there. We'll see. Uh, they like people, they people pleasers, so the majority rules. Like, if we've got to make a decision, okay, let's, let's make sure the most people possible are on board here, uh, lest we, you know, rock the boat too much. And that is the people problem is they're people pleasers. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is they can let people do things sometimes that aren't healthy uh, or do things for, for people sometimes that compromise like their integrity or the fabric of who they really want to be. And that can be a, a problem. The phlegmatic, uh, everything perfectly ordered, their, their time is, is tomorrow because they need time to map it out, right? Um, they like rules, right? Um, if uh, a phlegmatic never has a, a dirty garage because they wouldn't be sleeping at night, uh, if, if that was the case, they'd have to get that thing in order. Craig would never allow things in his truck that happened in my truck, right? <laughs> what do you do with that wrapper? You just put a wrapper in that little wrapper slot thing. That's not what that's for. That's for void space that's been cleaned and dusted. What's the matter with you? Yeah. That's, that's uh, the phlegmatic. Uh, phlegmatics, they're, uh, not, they're, not, they're not naturally energized by people. So oftentimes it's easy to fall into, man, this is, it's not worth the effort to engage in people and then they can slowly back away. Uh, melancholy, uh, they're punctual. Uh, the rules rule. I, tell me what the rule is, I'll do it. Um, and sometimes they can be in despair of people. Like, man, people are just beyond help. Uh, have you found yourself? Yeah? Anybody? The cholerics have found themselves. Yeah, you don't have to ask me. I've nailed that thing five, minutes, five seconds into your thing. The sanguines are like, oh, this is so fun. This is interesting. Oh, this is new. We could do this all day. This is sweet. The phlegmatics, I'm going to have to study this out myself. <laughs> Jeff's not here, and uh, he'd be saying it if he was. I don't, I'm not going to take your word for it. But uh, I got some, got some thinking to do. We're going we're gonna to map this out here. Uh, that's the phlegmatic. Uh, yeah, reserve judgment. Uh, don't know who you are, you're probably a phlegmatic, uh, if you're a little confused about this so far. Uh, a melancholy is like, is it really right to be laughing about this stuff? I mean, these are people we're talking about here, right? A little bit wound up. That's the deal. So if there's a fire, right, if you're, this is from a book, uh, if there's a fire, your apartment caught on fire, and everybody had to congregate outside because everything was inflamed, the choleric would be like, all right, everybody, grab a bucket. You get in line. Let's get some going. Everybody move. All right, we're going to snuff this thing out, right? Let's get her done, right? The sanguines would be like, anybody got some marshmallows? I mean, we could make some lemonade out of this right here while we're all together, right? Uh, the phlegmatics, is, it, is this really our responsibility? Like, I mean, let's everybody take a step back and measure this up because I think the fire trucks should be here any minute, uh, we better wait. And then the, the, the melancholy would be, this thing's going down. <laughs> yeah, it's, this is bad. 
there's nothing we're going to do about this. It's a, it's a catastrophe. All the melancholies laughed at that. Or didn't, uh, all the non-melancholies laughed at that. And the melancholies are super sad right now. I'm not kidding. But seriously, God forgive us all for the way we take ourselves, ourselves so seriously and everyone else has got to lighten up a little bit, right? Our opinions are giant, and what is the deal with you, right? This is a bad thing that, that can happen if we don't season ourselves and take every thought captive for, for Christ. These become strongholds that as we build as a church become huge rifts and dividing points between all different types of of people. And this is Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, we're one body with many parts, right? I believe he's talking about this. We're all made up of different. I don't think it's about who's the usher and who's singing songs. I think it's about we're all unique and different. And that's a challenging thing. It's extremely challenging when you get right down to it. It's no surprise that 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about that, is followed up by 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about what? Love. It's all about love. Because we need to love each other through our differences. Back to these strongholds. Next slide. Hooking this back to uh, that first scripture we read in 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 10. Um, a cleric has to be successful. That's a stronghold. If you, if you have to win over unity and tolerance, that's a stronghold. And their lofty opinion can be, just look at my body of work. I'm so successful. Look at how great things have gone because of the way I am, right? That's a lofty opinion. That's not a good place to be at all. There's no humility in that. Uh, the sanguine, they got to be popular. i got to win everybody's approval. i, I got to do things that make a splash. Uh, it's going to be great. And over time, they're, they could get a little puffed up because look at how influential I am. Look at how many people are attracted to me. Uh, check that out. That could be a, a real detriment to their character and their ability to love. The phlegmatic has to be consistent, have to make peace, and has, sometimes has, looks down on other people. I never make mistakes. If you, wouldn't have got, you wouldn't have gotten that catastrophe if... If you'd only think like me a little bit more, what's the problem? I should be the king, really. Cleric. I don't know what they're doing. Ram us right into a brick wall. Here we go again. What's the vision? I hope he asked me about it beforehand. Maybe this is part of why boards exist, right? Let's reel this guy in a little bit. Count the, yeah. Uh, and then finally, the melancholies, they got to be right. They got to they got to be right. they got to be true to themselves. And it's a lofty opinion that I'm so honorable, I am so pious in that sort of disposition. Um, we got to keep our desire, guys, for unity above our desire for any of the things on this chart. It's, a, it's just idolatrous to elevate any of these up in their importance. Uh, and that requires humility, that requires tolerance, and it requires understanding. My grandmother, Grace, rest her soul, God, uh, always taught me that we have the most to learn 
from those least like us. She said that to us all the time. And when I was a little kid, I was like, what? You know, what does that mean? You don't really know. But I, it kept with me, and she said it to me all the way in through my 20s. And I love that saying because it invites us into a mindset. When we go and encounter someone not like us, the older we get, the more we can instantly sense, this, this dude isn't, isn't like me. Uh, but sometimes it can be uh, in a, now I've got to elevate myself. They're different than me, so I'm, I'm over you or somehow. But this mindset my grandma taught me was, it invites us into a mindset of a learner. I'm, I'm a learner. I'm, I'm humble. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a student. So you can go and connect with people and value their opinions, even though they're different than us. The point here, guys, is unity. It really is. I've got a few scriptures before we get into communion. I just want to share and remind us about unity and the value of it. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you should agree with one another in what you say, and there will be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. 2 Corinthians 13.11, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice! Strive, we'll never, hit, we'll never hit it perfectly, but strive for full restoration. Deal with your conflicts in a humble and godly way. That's what that means. There was some conflicts going on in 2 Corinthians. Paul's like, just aim for restoration. You'll be fine. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of peace and love will be with you. I don't think he's saying be of one mind. Everybody be the same personality type. He's saying... Everybody just value each other equally and, and don't get too carried away with your lofty opinions, right? Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then finally, 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. You know, as we grow as a church, as we experience change, this is the mindset to preserve, to protect, and to honor in each other. Uh, and what better place to remind ourselves of this as we meet at the, the foot of the cross for communion. Think about the, the, the reality of Jesus at the cross and what that stood for. It stood for humility. It stood for being less. It stood for being the heart of a servant. It stood, it stood for giving. Uh, let's enjoy that today, guys, and, and as a congregation as we move forward. Let's pray.